um, to an area that needs it, big time. You know, two to three times a week, I hear from people independently, not not uh, colluding, just come up to me and say, you know, I really feel the presence of God here. I really feel like God is working here. I really feel like God is moving in these people in this area. And uh, isn't it exciting just to be a part of it? It's not about any any one of us, least of all me. Um, as I like to say, God can raise up rocks to do what we do. But he uses us. He uses us even in our frailty and our weakness and our brokenness and our ugliness sometimes. And God still says, hey, get up. I've got a job for you to do. I know you were ugly last week. You need to get up. You've got a job to do this week. And so I'm thankful for everybody that comes week in and week out and does that. Uh, if you feel the same, we've, uh, we've named this month our check-in to church month. I want to blow up Facebook with people that are checking in to Ignite and just letting people know, look, I'm blessed by this church. I'm blessed by these people, and I want to let everybody know. you got good news to share. Somebody just, you know, finds out they're, they're pregnant or they got uh, family coming to town. We hear about all of it. We even see what you're eating most nights. And that's not that it's not newsworthy. I mean, yeah, a big old steak. <laughs> I mean, pile of grass, uh, a big old pile of grass. But <laughs> what? I apologize. I don't think I got enough sleep last night. That extra hour. Did anybody else not feel it? I didn't feel it. Um, so we're we're just. I forgot my Bible at home. You <laughs> think a pastor has one job? Bring, bring your Bible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The uh, this time around, you 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 worry you're going to show up too early. Forget to say you change your clocks and show up too early, but. Uh, if you feel the same, do that. Share that with friends. Let people know that you can be... I've heard this so many times, like I've lost track. They say, man, I just feel so loved at that church. And I want you to know that you just don't take that for granted. That, that isn't the reality at every church. Electric. It's electric up here. Um, if we have to cut that out, I'll just, uh, I'll just talk, talk louder, but... Uh, if you're blessed by Ignite, just share it. Let people know in person. Share online. Check in like we're doing this November. We're kind of doing that drive. To just let, let Facebook know. Let everybody on Facebook know, hey, this is where I spend my Sunday mornings. And if it didn't, uh, it wouldn't seem too self-serving, go on Google and write a review. Let people know you're happy here. We had, it's funny, I, I felt kind of Satan's attack immediately coming here. Um, it was overshadowed by all the blessing and the good and, and all that. And we're not afraid of, we're not afraid of him. Uh, not in our own flesh. We're not afraid of him because we know who wrote the end of the story. All right? And we know the end of the story. Uh, but still, you, Satan opposes things that we do. And so uh, the, the first week I was here, we get a one-star review and I'm just blasted on Google. I thought, well, it's week one. So you'll, you'll have that, you know. And then a couple more, two and three star reviews, and and these people I've never even seen. They they haven't shown up here. They just they just felt that their due diligence to tell the world that I don't like that place. Um, well, you could you have the opportunity to go in and flood it with your positive. Um, and so that's not a reflection of me. That's not you rating me. That's you rating this body of Christ that wants to love people in this community. And so we invite you to do that if you feel so led. Uh, but when you have blessings in your life, when you, when you experience good things in your life, you just hold on. Embrace yourselves. You all seen that meme on Facebook or other, also others. Brace yourselves. Because something's coming, right? Um, and uh, when, when you experience a lot of good in Christ, you can expect that opposition will not be long in coming. I, I told you, I think it was last week before, but when you, when you enlist in God's army, when you decide to be a part of what God's doing, you make yourself dangerous to the enemy. And, and as a soldier, as a former soldier, I, I don't really relate to that, man. Well, I didn't just put a jersey on and, and, and be, be content to sit on the sidelines. I said, put me in, coach. I'm ready. He's like, hey, you settle down. You're not ready yet. No, put me in, coach. I'm ready, you know. But God wants people on the playing field. He wants people in the fight. But that's exactly what it is. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. People that we come across are not our enemy. They're being used by the enemy. 
to do things, to say things, to discourage you, to beat you down. Return what they have with grace, with love, with dignity. The kind of dignity and love and grace that's only possible because you, you know the fountain through which it flows. You, you know Jesus, and so you can, you can emanate. You can, that can be who you are. It just comes out of you naturally. I see so many people jump to it, and they just can't wait to clobber somebody on social media. You've been done wrong in a business or at a whatever. You don't have to tell the world. Those are people. Those are people made in the image of God who he, he wants to see saved and following Jesus just as much as he wanted to see you saved and following Jesus. But you say, well, they've, they've wronged me, so the world has to know that they've wronged me. Have we not wronged people too? Have we not been that person? And fortunately, I'm just glad that I grew up before social media was a thing. Like, you probably wouldn't have let me come. But how many, how, I'm not alone, right? You're glad you grew up before social media was a thing? Okay, all right. Yeah. And all God's people said? Amen. Amen. All right. But opposition will come. And for the Galatians, we are in Galatians, we're not in Acts. I know that. You know that. I know that now. So we're in Galatians, and the opposition that the Galatians faced was that they had this pure, this perfect form of the gospel that Paul had given to them when he planted the churches there. And the opposition that they faced was a tendency or the, 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 the temptation to water it down, to pollute it. They were tempted to move off the X. We, we likened it onto a treasure map last week. Once you, you see the X on the map and you find the X on the map, what do you do when you get there? You stop and you look for the thing that you're looking for on the X. In this case, it was the X. The gospel was the X. But our progressive minds, we, we are so addicted to the idea of progress that once we find truth, we're like, well, where do we go from here? We progress away from truth. And any direction away from truth is wrong, is falsehood, is error. And so they were, they were up against this, this idea of moving away from the gospel and adding something to the finished work of Jesus. Do we face that opposition today? People tempted to water down the gospel? Absolutely. Absolutely. It is not an easy job to, to preach week in and week out truths that I know won't be received by some people or be difficult for others. But we, we, we preach the timeless truths as given in the revealed Word of God because that's where the power is. That's where, that's where the truth is found. The opposition we face today is similar to what they faced in the first century, but also I would say this, that we face another opposition. We not only face liberal teachers saying, hey, you don't need that X, you don't need to be on that X. You can wander around, you can find truth yourself, you can find your own version of truth, your own reality. And some would say, they'd go a step further and say, there is no X to find. It's more about the wandering. It's all about the journey and so on and so forth. There's a lot to be learned in the journey. But man, when I find truth, I want to hold on to it. We got nothing in this world besides truth. In our pursuit of it. Don't do the next generation a disservice of playing around with truth. I say this often, but if you knew where the fountain of youth was, if you could, if you could tell somebody, especially somebody that's uh, older or, or not well, and you could, you could point them to the fountain of truth, the fountain of youth, rather, if you could point them to that and say, hey, just drink of this fountain and you're going to be fine. All your ailments will dissipate. All your, all your problems will go away. What, what kind of friend would you be if you didn't point everybody you knew to that? And yet we have that. We have that in Jesus. We have more than that. And how many of your conversations this week had anything at all to do with Jesus? I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm asking myself that question too. But opposition is coming. If you decide to stand with Jesus, you will face opposition. Our text today is Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Title of the message, Standing Firm. And I, uh, my best ideas don't always come at 1 in the morning, but sometimes they do. And then sometimes I, I, they do come at 1 in the morning, and then at 6 the next later that morning, I'm like, that wasn't a great idea. So my original title was, Standing Firm When You're Tempted to Squirm. 
I mean, it, it rhymes, right? That might be the only value there is in it, as it rhymes. But uh, standing firm, and if you want the full title, when you're tempted to squirm. Stay put. Uh, Paul's going to begin his, uh, uh, this part of the text with pointing the finger without naming the accused. He doesn't name a single person. He doesn't really even come out uh, a lot and point to a group of people. He, he talks about the influencers and those that are doing a certain kind of thing. But more sharp words to come from Paul. We've already seen them before. And he also gets to the bottom of what's at stake. So a lot of you come in here, you might, you might wonder, okay, I get you're, you're excited about Jesus, Jeff. I, I understand that. All right, You're a little bit too excited, but I'll deal with that. I'll forgive you for it even. But what's the point? What's at stake if I decide to walk away from it? The short answer, everything. Everything's at stake. All the hope that we have of life eternal, all the hope we have of the bliss of, of, of a perfect restored relationship with the Father, an eternal life, all of it. You know, Blaise Pascal, he was a philosopher in the, I think, 18th century. He famously said, you know, it's, it's called uh, Pascal's Wager. You know, if, if I'm wrong, if I'm wrong about all this Jesus talk, guess what? I wasted a lot of weekends. I was up late a lot. I didn't sleep much. I didn't see my kids as much as I wanted to. But at the end of the day, that's all. I, I lost those things, a little bit of time. But I lived my life in, a, in, a, in an effort to please this guy, Jesus, who at least was a good teacher. But he said, what's, what's at stake for you if I'm right and you're wrong? If I'm right and there is a God and there is a Jesus who came to save you and you ignore that you walk away, there is a heaven, there is a hell, then what's at stake for you that don't believe if you're wrong? That, that may seem oversimplified to you, but, but I hope you'll grasp the reality, I hope you grasp the weight of that. Uh, that we don't know what's going to happen for a certain... We're not, we don't have certainty about what happens a moment after we die. But we have a whole lot of good reason to believe that that tomb, where they put Jesus' body, three days later was empty. And it stayed empty. So much so that the ancient world never tried to convince us that the tomb wasn't empty. What would be the easiest thing in the world for the ancient world to do? That all these disciples run around talking about Jesus rose from the dead. No, he didn't. I'll take you back where we put his body. Why didn't they do that? Please hear me on this. They didn't do that because they couldn't do that. If they could have showed you the rotting corpse of this so-called Savior, they would have done it. They didn't have the option. So they did the next best thing. They said, oh, the disciples must have stole the body. Oh, Really? You mean the disciples that wouldn't even be seen by Jesus, with Jesus at the end of his life, except one? Those disciples, even in Jesus' life, they weren't brave enough to, to rally around him and help him be there for him. But now in his death, they've somehow found courage and nerve enough to overcome a squadron of Roman soldiers, to overtake them, move the, move the stone, all to just trick the world into believing that this guy rose from the dead. If you can swallow that, Please don't come to me and talk to me about history or science. Because I'm a logical thinker. And that doesn't make sense. Yet the tomb is empty. And Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. Somebody tell me, stop getting carried away and get back to your notes. That was all extra credit, free, um, and nowhere in there. But back to the text. Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Now, before we move any further, a drink of water and a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you for today. We thank you for each and every single person that, that, that gave up their time this morning to be here. Lord, might we not waste their time. Lord, we're asking you to do something powerful here today. We're asking you to do something meaningful here today, and I confess that I can't do that. But I ask, Lord, in my weakness and my inability and my awkwardness and my stuttering and stammering, Lord, that you might be great, you might be powerful, and that you might take over this place. Meet with us, Lord, and be here in power today. Might this message, Lord, resonate with, with each and every person as they need. 
They each came in here having a need, Lord. Might it be met here today. And we thank you for it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. We read this verse last week. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For freedom Christ has set us free. It seems like it's so redundant, it doesn't really even make any sense. Why would Paul need to say that? Well, these are new believers. These are people that moved off the X very quickly. After finding the X, they, and Paul, they were all too eager to move off the X. So he's, he's speaking in very simple terms with them. Christ came to set you free from all that. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You found the X. You're standing on the X. Stay on the X. Stand firm on the X. They've shown a tendency to be gullible. That's why he said, do not submit again. Don't do this again. You've already fallen in the pit once. Don't do it again. A shame on you if you take the same route. And every time in life we have these patterns that we go through. And, and all through life we, we have these routes that we know we're going to take us past the temptation. Or past something that we, we keep just, you know, whatever. Falling in that hit, that was me falling. And, and also, <laughs> yeah, you thought I was going to start breakdancing. But I, can we edit this out? But you, you keep going past the same spots, the same holes you keep falling in. Wondering why you keep falling in that hole. You, I, I'd say you want to you fall in that hole. You kind of like that hole. You like the way it feels. You like what you get to do in that hole. And so you keep walking past that same hole. And then acting surprised when you fall in it. They've shown a tendency to be gullible. They have submitted once. He's worried they're going to submit again. The idea of submission... I think of a, a mixed martial arts match, a uh, UFC or, or wrestling match, where one fighter, one, one athlete is looking to submit the other one. And what does submit mean? I give up. I give in. I'm going to quit trying. Crying uncle. I'm done trying. This can happen even when we are trying. We find ourselves in, in places where we, we just, even when we, we, we aim to do A, but we find ourselves doing B over and over and over again. So if it can happen even when you are trying to do the right thing, beware of letting your guard down. Uh, beware of just kind of resting on your laurels and saying, it's good enough, I got this. Every now and again we need reminders too, like Paul gave the Galatians, don't submit again. Don't fall down that same hole. Don't trip on that same thing. Find a different route. Find a different crowd. Go some other place. Be with other people. How many of you keep, you know the holes you're falling in. Because you, it's the same friends and the same groups you keep going back to. They don't love you. If they, if they watch you fall in the same hole over and over again, they don't love you. Period. The person that loves you is going to pull you out of that pit and hope that you, and pray with you that you never fall back into it. The problem with the living sacrifice, Paul challenged us to be a living sacrifice. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Well, the problem, they say, with a living sacrifice is it keeps crawling off the altar. You get back on when you're feeling, you're feeling jazzed about God one day. You get back on, you're feeling pretty good. And then, then Monday comes. I tell you, Monday's my worst day. Saturday's my hardest day because I'm getting ready to come to you with, a, I hope, a word. I hope something that's going to inspire you for the week. And then Monday, after the, the, the spiritual high up here of being around God's people, and then Monday comes, I let my guard down because I'm tired. And boom, fall in the hole again. Most of you can probably relate in your own ways. But we keep crawling off the altar. Paul, verse 2 says, Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, then Christ will be of no advantage to you. It's a strong statement, but he starts, I, Paul. Uh, he wants to remind them, I, I was your spiritual father. I was the first person that brought this news to you. It's me speaking. Listen when I'm speaking to you. It, it mattered once upon a time what I said. What I told you is truth. It mattered at one point in time. 
But you've moved off the X. So hear me. Hear me, Paul, again, speaking to you in a trembling voice. If you accept circumcision. I love the if-then statements in Scripture. They're all, they're, they're chalk, scripture is chock full of, if you do this, then this will happen. We act surprised. If you don't put God first, this will happen. If you, if you do this, that will happen. If you, as Ed talked to us about our informational meeting, you give of what you have, and God's going to give it back three times, four times what you gave. If then. If this happens, then this will happen. If you accept circumcision, then Christ will be of no advantage to you. That's a very bold statement, very, uh, you know, full of implications. He says, uh, says it because it demonstrates that their trust is in something else. And you can't, at the same time, put your trust in Jesus and something else. The two things are mutually exclusive. So you're either putting your trust, your full trust, and nothing but your trust. Just occurred to me. Sometimes things happen in my head. They don't always need to come out of my mouth. But they usually do. Now you made me lose my spot. (laughs) Zing. Got me. But it's their trust that they're putting in something. Their trust, their faith, their belief was supposed to be in Jesus and his finished work. He was finished. You didn't need to add to it. If you add to it, you insulted it. Imagine taking a pure glass of water and saying, I'm just going to, you know, your, your goal is a, a glass of water with no impurities, nothing extra in it. So I'm just going to carefully make it better by putting stuff in it. You are necessarily making it worse. Their faith, their belief in Jesus and his finished work, that's what saves. The verse we've shared a number of times the last several weeks, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. By grace, through faith, not, not you doing it. You didn't earn it. Not by works, lest any man or woman should boast. Why? Because at the end of the day, if you get into heaven because you were, you were good enough, you can look down at the person who wasn't quite good enough, look down your nose at them and say, well, I guess I, guess I just did one more righteous thing than you did, so I kind of earned my way in here. And Jesus says, no, you don't, your righteousness is as filthy rags. You can't stack a pile. Imagine coming to Jesus with a stack of filthy rags saying, do you like this? I, I, I gave you a lot of them. And I won't go into what the filthy rags, you look this up at home, what the filthy rags meant. You look that up and you say, I'm gonna, really? I'm going to try to exchange this pile of filthy rags for entrance into the kingdom, God's holy kingdom? Not going to work. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. That's the vehicle. Romans chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore, the promise comes by faith. That's, again, the vehicle through which we come to grace. So that it may be by grace. Anything other than just putting your faith and trust in in Christ is a work. So that it may be a grace and be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. He explains further, verse 3, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Again, this is an all or nothing proposition. You can't choose a little bit of one and a little bit of the other. You are either choosing one or the other. I think about a young child threatening to run away. In their mind, they're independent of you because they don't want to, they don't want to live by your rules or they don't like the way you just talked to them or took their toy away or whatever it is. And so, yeah, I'm going to run away. I'm independent of you. I don't need you. And what they mean is I don't need you yelling at me right now. But then as soon as the rent comes due or as soon as the bills come in or as soon as I'm hungry, all of a sudden I wish Mama would have packed me a sandwich because I'm a little bit hungry. And I'm not actually as independent of her or of my parents as I thought I was. But truly running away would mean that you break off all dependence. And so what Paul's saying is that if you want to break off the dependence that you have on Christ, okay, but break it all the way off. Make it a clean break and move all the way into law and then trust yourself and your own ability to follow the law, which we stated already the law was in place to show us we couldn't follow the law. The law increased sin. The law showed us that we weren't capable of following it. And if you've ever been to the, at the end of yourself trying and trying and trying and realizing you're not enough, 
you've just realized something else. You need Jesus. Period. And he's already said, I've done it. I've already, I've, I followed the law perfectly so you wouldn't have to. I bore that weight so you wouldn't have to because I know you couldn't. All or nothing proposition. The only way to satisfy the law is to keep all of it. And only one person did that. Jesus the Christ. And the one who did, did so so that we wouldn't have to. Yet by accepting this circumcision, this, this sign, this ritual, you have to accept the rest of it. And ver, uh, in verse 4, Paul has some strong words. He says, you are severed from Christ. Ouch. Accept it all or don't accept any of it. But you, if you accept circumcision and the things that follow, you accept all of it and you're severed from Christ. You would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. So the options are, one, perfect adherence to the law, or two, faith in Christ's fulfillment of it. I like option two. But the two, again, are mutually exclusive. They can't both be true or right at the same time. This idea of being uh, falling away from grace, I probably some of you are hoping that I'll address that theologically. I'm not. Because this text, in this, in this, uh, in this bit of text, we're not trying to answer the question of whether or not somebody uh, who is saved a blood-bought believer in Jesus can fall away from that grace. We're not trying to answer that question today. Uh, but either way, uh, if apostasy is a possibility, or it just means you've severed yourself from Christ for that time being, or whatever it might mean, it's not a line that you want to flirt with. Walking away from Jesus, the only one that cared enough for you to give his life for you, a ransom for many. Verse 5, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. There's another fancy theological debate about uh, these two camps called synergism and monergism. Uh, synergism, you know, synergistic systems, they, they work together. And so the synergist would say that, yeah, it's, you know, I, I have to accept Christ. I have to kind of put that forth. Uh, the monergist says you weren't capable of accepting Christ. Mono meaning one. The only person operative in your salvation was God. But look at this verse. Look what it says. For through the Spirit, by faith. So I'd say it's both. We place our faith, but we are first wooed by the Spirit to do so. We're drawn by the Spirit. And you know, righteousness, it's the hope of righteousness that he's this trajectory. Um, that's not even an aim or desire of a fallen creature, this idea of righteousness. Who cares about it? Because your whole goal in life is to satisfy self. Hedonism, doing whatever makes you happy. That's the biggest lie thrust upon the modern world is do what makes you happy. Oh, stop doing what makes you happy. That's cheap. That's not lasting. And do what Jesus has asked you to do. That'll last. And, and you'll skip right past happy and you'll get joy. You'll find lasting, true joy where you're just looking for cheap happiness. You don't want that. Trust me. Happiness is fleeting. Joy is permanent. But it's not even a trajectory of the fallen person. It says in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to, to fulfill His good purpose. It's Christ in us. Hope is the Christian distinctive. It's not just hope, but hope of righteousness, the whole aim and reason of for Galatians being written in the first place. How are we justified? Is it gospel plus works? Is it grace plus works? And Paul's saying, heck no. Get, get out of here with that. Adding to. Verse 6, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. This idea of circumcision, it's, a, it's an empty pointless ritual, no practical purpose in it. It's tantamount to thinking if you're going to take a trip to the sun, making sure you pack your SPF to make sure you don't get burned. Like, really? That's how ridiculous this idea of thinking you're going to please God by following the rites and rituals of uh, the Jewish law when he sent Jesus to obliterate all that, to fulfill all of that. 
Christianity is not a club, it's not a sports team, it's not even merely a religion, it's a religion with a reason, faith working through love. And that should be the big difference between Christianity as we express it and other religions. They're just trying to be righteous enough to get to whatever end game is, is promised to them. Ours is more communal. Ours is more uh, do this for the sake of someone else. He says you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. He's kind of saying, what happened? You were, you were, you were on the X, what happened? How did you get pushed off the X? Whatever influence in your life works to convince you to move away from truth and to embrace a lie is not a voice that deserves to be listened to. Yet many of us walked in here listening to them anyway. Even if it sounds like someone you know and love and whose opinion you value. Let me say that again. Whatever influence in your life works to convince you to move away from truth, to embrace a lie, is not a voice that deserves to be listened to. Even if it sounds like someone you know and love and whose opinion you value, they might be wrong in that thing. So love them and love them well. But don't listen to everything they have to say, especially if they're pulling you away from truth. You have to surround yourself with the right kinds of influencers. And right now in Galatia, at this point in time, they were surrounded by people that wanted to move them off the X. And some of you in this room are surrounded by people. And you do it to yourselves. You keep keeping these friends that you know are no good for you. You know that every time around, this person, that person, that person, I do these things that I, don't, I wake up not liking. Yet next weekend I make plans with them again. More than any other thing on this planet, people will divert us from the path and the plan that God has for us. The hard part is that while things are easy to cut out of our lives, people are not. But this warning is necessary because as Paul goes on in verse 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. That may sound like a kind of confusing statement. But leaven is just yeast, so just like leaven or yeast works its way through all the dough, so reliance on law, or in one part, demands reliance on law for all parts. And I think this is equally applicable to influences. You let just a little bit of that influence in your life. Just a a smidge, just a little bit. I'm just going to have a little bit of those people that keep dragging me down the same path. Just a little bit of whatever thing that keeps tripping you up. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And the problem is you can't accept partial grace on one hand and partial works on the other. Grace is again defined as categorically categorically not about works. That's why it's grace. Paul moves on in verse 10. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. Paul has confidence. He leaves the results with God. He's confident that the truth will prevail. I like to tell people that bringing, bringing non-truth to a truth fight is kind of like bringing a, gun, a knife to a gunfight. I don't have to be that smart. If I have truth on my side and I just do an okay job of presenting it, and somebody else who's wanting to debate or move me off that X comes with their falsehood, the truth will usually show itself to be true in light of the falsehood. So it's like you're, you're bringing the gun to a knife fight. Bringing Jesus and the gospel of grace and peace, you're bringing the gun to a knife fight. They don't stand a chance. Just let the lion out of the cage on that one and get out of the way. He leaves the results with God because he's confident that truth will prevail. He says, if I still preach Paul, appealing to his own authority in their lives because he was, their, again, their spiritual father. He says, look, if I'm, if I'm still, don't follow this circumcision stuff because if I was preaching it, would I still be being persecuted? Which I am. If I was preaching circumcision, they would leave me alone. What that looks like in modern speak, in case it's kind of confusing, if I preach all roads lead to Rome, that's pretty popular, right? It doesn't matter whether you meet in this church or some other religion or some other thing. All, all roads eventually lead to Rome, right? Emphatically, no. That's not the case. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the way. Help me out. No man or woman comes to the Father but by me. That, seems, that sounds pretty exclusive to me. 
But we're tempted. We're tempted to water it down with our uh, our modern progressivism. We're we're tempted to water it down to people that don't find that palatable. Well, I'm sorry if you don't like it palatable. The medicine is what you need, whether you like the taste of it or not. I don't always like the taste of it, but I know it's going to do me some good to take it. Paul finishes this portion of the text with some strong words. I wish, he says, those who unsettle you would just emasculate themselves. Huh? Strong. And sometimes you wonder if Paul's just trying to be a shock jock or something. Like get people like, hey, you weren't you're kind of daydreaming while you're reading, but wake up. <laughs> I wish these people would just castrate themselves, huh? But Paul is probably playing on a well known pagan ritual that nearby folks were doing. And they were in worship to their deity, their fake deity. They would emasculate themselves like that, castrate themselves. Says so Paul says, Why don't you just do the whole thing? Why don't you why don't you just go full bore? Why don't, you do, why don't you just go complete pagan? If you're going to do a little bit, well, you might as well do it all the way. Impress some God because you're not impressing the God. I wish those who unsettle you would just emasculate themselves. Sometimes the situation calls for strong response, strong tone, strong words. You ever had that opportunity? Now, sometimes it's just our flesh. We want to speak strong words. I'm, I'm that way. It's my tendency. I have to check myself constantly. Jeff, are you, are you, you bucking up because you just want to get, you want to get some or what? Because sometimes that's the case. You buck up because you want to get some. And you want people to let you know that you're there. Other times, though, God calls us to speak strongly because the case, the situation, demands strong words. His name being dragged through the mud. I remember a story of, uh, Richard Wormbrand, a, a, a Romanian pastor in communist Romania. And, and uh, they're at this, this kind of communist, uh, backslapping contest with the government, and they're all lauding this idea of communism. And Richard and Sabina Wormbrand, his wife, uh, are there in attendance. She, she says, who's going to stand up and wipe the spit from our Savior's mouth? And he said, woman, I don't know if he said that, but it seems like he did. He said, if I do that, you're going to have a dead husband for a husband. She says, I sure as heck don't care for a coward as a husband. So he spent the next 14 years getting tortured. Tortured for Christ. You can find his story in a book with the same title, Tortured for Christ. I can't read it with a dry eye. Amazing. But he gave strong words when they were needed, even when it meant stripes on his back. And one day, very well, it could mean that here. I want to be so guilty of touting Jesus that when they come in, when they break in these doors and say, I'm looking for all the Jesus followers, they already know to either shoot me or arrest me. Because he's guilty. That dude won't shut up. He has no plan of stopping. You might as well just end it now. And then God leaves a legacy behind that. Some people in their death reach so many more for Christ than they ever did in their life. But sometimes situations call for sharp and difficult and strong words, and I think Paul issues that well here. So stand firm. I don't know what you came in here this morning dealing with in your life, but there's something, I promise you there's something in your life, it's probably in your mind right now, that's trying to push you off the X. You found truth, and I hope you find it here. But you found truth, and, and there's influences in your life trying to push you off of it. A spouse, a significant other, uh, whatever it might be, trying to push you off that X. Well, in the, in the words of Martin Luther, here I stand, I can do no other. I'm on the X, and I'm not budging because I found truth. What does it take to stand firm? What does it require of us? Three things that the, the Lord kind of showed me this week. Um, this is not an exhaustive list. It's, mine are mostly, uh, most often not exhaustive. They're just a few things that God brought to my mind. So the first thing that standing firm requires is that we be prepared. We must be prepared to stand firm. We talk about in, in firearms instruction, which is my trade, we talk about a ready stance. And it's the same thing as a fighter would do. 
a fighting stance as your feet about shoulder-width apart. Your, your non-dominant foot slightly forward of your dominant foot. And you're ready to do what? You're ready to fight. You're also ready to move in any direction. It's both an offensive and a defensive posture to take. First, the positive. We are told by Jesus, his final words before he departs in a sense, make disciples of every nation. Well, we can't do that without moving our feet. And we've got to be in a posture ready to move. Our feet ready to go, ready to get in the fight where God calls us left or right, forward or back, that we can answer. Ready to move. The Great Commission of Matthew chapter 20 out, 28, going out and being obedient. Uh, how beautiful the feet to those that bring that uh, good news. And here's one, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. Be ready, be prepared always to give an answer to anyone that asks of the hope that lies within you. Somebody walks in the door and says, man, these people are weird, but they're happy. They're joyful. They love each other. What is going on with those people? Well, let me be ready to give you an answer, the hope that lies within you. Let me share that with you. And then the negative, or the defensive. Uh, Jude, verse 3, says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write you, appeal to you, that you contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. I wanted to talk to you about the things that we had in common, but I needed to write to you to be ready to fight. I needed to write to you. That word contend is a wrestler term. It's a fighting term. You stand your ground. You, you don't, don't submit your ground to the enemy. You submit to the Lord Jesus. And be prepared. Preparation is necessary to know, A, what to share, and B, how to defend it. If you don't know, your I was going to pick my Bible up, but I forgot my, my Bible. So... If you don't know that book, how are you going to share it? How are you going to defend it? Those got hers. If you uh, if you don't know that book, how do you share the truths in it? You can't, and you won't be ready. It's like you're standing with your feet together next to each other. As soon as somebody pushes you, you fall over. I've seen it on the range. Somebody standing with a with an AR-15. They're standing like this, and at each shot, this keeps they keep going back. You know, they're shooting into the sky. Um, because they're not prepared. They're not prepared to hold the weight of that rifle in their hands and absorb the recoil of each shot. We need to be ready as Christians to absorb the recoil the world throws at us. Preparation is necessary to know what to share, how to defend it. You must also be determined. Make the decision today that you're going to do the right thing when it comes, when the opportunity comes by. Make the decision when it's easy or you'll never follow through when it's hard. I also teach some tactics and some other things at, at work. Um, and part of my job is to evaluate people, to know how to defend the plan. And I walked up on somebody and said, hey, I'm here to give you a, uh, an evaluation on your readiness, your preparedness to defend this nuclear plan. Okay, here it goes. And they don't know the answer to any of the questions. And they, and they, they assure me, Jeff, I'll, when the time comes, I'll know. I'll know what to do. No, that's when things get worse. Ask Ed about what happens to people when, when their adrenaline's up here. Do they, do they re, re, fall back to their hiding and fighting or, or running, or do they, do they fight through it? Training has to take over instincts, and you have to be trained to know what to do in the moment when it happens. But you must be determined that when it happens, you're going to do that. You're going to take the right course of action. So make the decision when it's easy or you're never going to fall through when it's hard. In Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, Daniel um, living in a pagan society, says, Daniel resolved or purposed in his heart not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked and said the chief official for permission to not defile himself in this way. He purposed in his heart. He intended in his heart ahead of time, I'm not going to do this. And I'm going to stand my ground. I'm going to stand firm. In Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15, a familiar passage. What does Joshua say? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He made a determination ahead of difficulty that this is the way we're going to live. And if you don't make it when it's easy, I promise you, you won't make it when the metaphorical gun is placed to your head. You won't make the right choice. You'll make the easy choice. We 
The final thing is you must be ready to admit defeat. What? That doesn't seem to flow in the progression here. Now, while I share this, I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. But you must be ready to admit defeat. The reality is that in our own strength, we can't do it. If you are looking for the resources that you have within yourself, that originate with yourself, it's not going to be enough. Have you ever tried to will yourself out of doing some sin that you were tempted to do? The more you think about it, how, how, how much less likely were you to commit that sin? The more you think about it and tell yourself you will yourself not to do it, the more you actually do it. The more guaranteed that you will do it. You're going to follow through on that sin. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, Beware when you think you stand, take heed, lest you fall. When we think we're standing up strong, big, you know, big shots, that's when we're vulnerable. If we submit to the Lord every day and say, hey, I, I don't have this. I don't have what it takes. I need you again today. That's when we're strong. In our weakness, and our brokenness, and our reliance on him, then we are strong. The formula for success does not originate with us, but rather with the one who called us. James chapter 4, verse 7, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. But the devil doesn't flee from you in your own strength. He only flees from you as you're submitted to God. He laughs at you when you're not. In John chapter 16, verse 33, read, I have told you these things, that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. That's a guaranteed fact. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And that's a promise that I hold on to. That no matter what happens in this skin, in this body, in this place, I obsess over the idea of one day hearing, well done, good and faithful servant. And so I want to be so guilty. If the evidence is stacked up against me for being a Christian, it's so overwhelmingly stacked against me that they just come in here and take me out immediately. That guy's a danger. He's a risk. He's an enemy. I'm thankful for the overcomer. Um, we're going to pray here in a second. I'm sorry. I invited you guys up a little bit early. I just like to have somebody else standing with me. I don't, it's only fair. I, I think it's only fair. Uh, but God is on the move. God is doing things. He is uh, growing his kingdom through this church. Uh, and this morning I had the opportunity to pray with uh, and, uh, and welcome uh, two brand new members of Ignite Christian Church. I'm going to ask Rick and Peggy if they wouldn't mind coming up here. You're on your own, Rick. <laughs> All right. I've gotten a, a chance to know them only only over the last uh, several weeks or so as they've been ten, attending. But I've one thing that has been just stuck out in my mind is their their love for Jesus, uh, unabashed, unashamed. Uh, their their love for all things Jesus, their willingness to follow the Spirit wherever the Spirit would take uh, them in this church. And they've they said, we're all in on Ignite Christian Church. We like what, what God is doing there, and we want to be a part of it. So I want to just give uh, a couple minutes to them to, to share a little bit of their testimony, uh, and then we can just go ahead and celebrate with them uh, being a part of Ignite. Good morning, family. Good morning. <laughs> family. We felt the Spirit of God when we came in day one. It doesn't make a difference how we got here. It was by the hand of God. At first we didn't understand, but we so clearly do now. We are knit together with community. As iron sharpens iron, you guys are making me better. And I like that. I welcome that. I feel a sense of accountability. I feel a sense of responsibility. And that is my heart towards Jesus and my heart towards you as a church and as my pastor. Um, I kind of want to start it from the standpoint of what the Word of God says. Uh, the Word of God says that we overcome the devil uh, by the word of our testimony. And Pastor asked us to share a little bit of our testimony. Uh, that being said, you know, in that verse of Scripture, I always thought about the word testimony uh, until this morning when I'm sitting here thinking, I have no idea where to even begin because my testimony could go for hours. 
So that's not going to happen. So just to put you at ease there, that's not going to happen. Um, but that being said, you know, uh, God changed my mind this very morning about that scripture. And it, the importance is not my testimony. It's about the word. And in that word, I thought, okay, well, what do you mean by that, Lord? And uh, he brought uh, John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. And in verse 14, loosely paraphrased, and the word dwelt among us. So my testimony is nothing but I had no out-of-bounds in my life. And uh, Peggy and I, as you get to know us, will share the, some of the details as God opens doors. Uh, but that being said, I'm a preacher's kid, and preacher's kids have a reputation, and I excelled in that reputation. Um, uh, but it, it, the bottom line is Jesus delivered me from that reputation. And so as you get to know Peggy and I, we're not going to do anything but point you to Jesus, because we discovered in our walk uh, with the Lord and as we married late in life, and now our stance is it's Jesus plus nothing. It's Jesus. It's all about Jesus. God made it that way. This covenant is that way. It's his blood. It's his nail prints. He did it all. And that's the testimony of of our life right now. And uh, if we ever deviate from that, please, Rick, you know, you've gotten off base, and I give you liberty, uh, correct and just off-course path. Because uh, it is. It's true. Plus nothing. And just so you know, some of you guys probably know my dad, Avery Wilson, uh, First Baptist Church. Uh, so when you think of my dad, those of you who know him, and you think of someone who was so off base that they thought, mom and dad thought, beyond what God even can do. They told me that later, uh, that I was so far gone uh, that they didn't think God could even bring me back. Um, but God did. That's it. And God did it. God is awesome, isn't he? doesn't matter how far gone we are. He is awesome.